Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with John D'Amato. He is a visual storytelling expert who photographs speakers, authors, trainers, and consultants to create world-class image assets that position them as an authority in their areas of expertise. Through collaboration, strategy, and execution, he sets clients up for success beyond the photo sessions by educating them on how to leverage their portraits, book images, virtual, and live event photos all across their online presence. Welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it is great to speak with you. You know, I love artists. Like, just as this big, broad category of creatives. I love that human beings are capable of being out in the world making art. And for anyone that can make art for a living, I am like, bow down to you. I love that you have created for yourself a career doing something so uniquely human. So John, tell us a little bit about how you would describe your sort of day-to-day career. Well, A lot of my day is spent doing the things that I need to do in order to do the thing that I want to do. So there's a lot of the basic stuff, the emailing, the correspondence, the outreach, the figuring out the different types of images that we need, finding those people, posting content, writing articles, writing social posts, all of those different things. And then every now and then I get the pleasure and honor of actually having someone sit in front of my camera and I get to take their picture. So it sounds like the artistry part is a smaller percentage of the time compared to sort of the administrative and and everything that goes around. The rest of it is more like being a business person, right? The artistry, what would you say? Is that like 10%, 20%? Give us some hope. Well, here's the thing. I don't see that as a bad thing because as far as I'm concerned, to be able to monetize my art in a way that does not compromise my integrity means that I have to do the work before the work. And I'm totally cool with that because I understand that in a world that is oversaturated with a lot of professional photographers who serve the same types of folks that I work with, there has to be a level of, I guess, dedication to the fact that they need to know who I am. And in order for them to even know who I am and to let alone find out if I'm a fit to work with them, they need to find me first. And the only way that they're going to find me is is by me putting in the hours to be able to be discovered by these folks online. And where do you think most of your prospects for potential clients come from? Is it one particular social channel or is it pretty evenly spread across the board? If someone else wanted to become a professional photographer and they really only had the time to double down their marketing efforts in like one type of advertising or marketing, what do you suggest for them? Well, the suggestion starts with a question. Who do you want to serve? And how do you, and what problems do you solve? You first need to understand the people that you want to work with and 
how your work as a photographer helps get them out there in a certain way to be able to be discovered by those who need them most. And probably that was one of the most difficult things for me to be able to niche down because, you know, conventional wisdom is when you're just starting out and you don't really have a plan, you're just kind of chasing checks. And as a result, yeah, I got a nice camera. Yeah. I kind of have an eye. Yeah. I could kind of do what you need. And does it pay? Cool. I'll do it. So when you start to move up, up the chain, Probably the best place to look is to find out where those people that you serve, whose problems you solve, hang out. And that's where you go. Now, I'll tell you for me, in my case in particular, at this stage of the game, if I get someone off of a Google search, that's a miracle because 95% of my work is referral based at this point. And a lot of the people that come in are because of other people that I've worked with, or they might have seen some of my work on Facebook or Instagram. But most of my stuff comes from the relationships that I've built with clients that I've worked with in the past. So tell us about a couple, maybe one, two, or three of your sort of really memorable photo shoots you've done. It doesn't have to be the best photos you've ever done. I don't want you to have to narrow it down. I know that's like picking a favorite child. Like you can't do that. But what are a couple that stand out to you as just really memorable in some respect? Well, the first branded lifestyle portrait session that I did in 2016 for my first client who actually helped me figure out this whole stop shooting everybody and focus on someone specific. That one really resonates with me because that's where it all started. It all started with a conversation about, hey, I'm putting a book out and I hate social media, but my publisher told me I need photos because I have to promote myself as a personal branding specialist. So what the hell are we going to do? And that's what stoked the fire of me coming up with this model that I currently have and have since built upon. Another session that I that really comes to mind is the first time that I photographed a book. This doesn't involve portraiture. It involves shoot, uh, part of my services involve photographing author books and the covers, the spines, as well as the insides of the book. And that shoot that I did actually inspired someone else to reach out to me who actually said, do you do this outside of the portrait session? And I said, no. At that time, I just photographed random things of books for clients who actually wrote books. And since that person reached out to me and kind of inspired me to think about it more, that's when I started shooting the insides of the books. And, and that one really stands out as well. So tell us more about that because that's fascinating to me. So someone comes to you and says, look, for some of this promotional marketing material, I really need some amazing professional photos of the book itself. Are these like photos you take outdoors? Do you, do you think about the book's content and sort of come up with a, a setting for each book that would be unique to the book? Or is that decision really driven by like the publisher? How does that all come together? Well, covers of books have been photographed for a very long time. And that's nothing new. The spines, the covers, that stuff has been pretty well worn at this point. The flavor, the different flavor that I brought to this was, well, I mean, if these people are buying books, you want to give them an opportunity to feel the book in their hands through their eyes, which you kind of get from the cover, but you could also buy like an illustrator file, a digital mock-up of it. 
But what you can't do is have the pages open and you're shooting the section headers and the chapter titles and the illustrations, the exercise page, all of the details, because that helps give them an opportunity for their book launch to be able to show stuff that really gets the juice of the book out there. And honestly, it's not up to the publisher. It's kind of up to me and the client specifically, the author. If the author has certain things that he or she would want photographed, they let me know during the initial call. But most of the time, what I'm doing is skipping through the book and I'm looking at the details. I'm looking at the illustrations. And my thought always is, can they write something interesting and compelling that they can use in their launch marketing? And if the answer is yes, that's when I start flipping the book open. I have some clamps to keep. I don't I don't hold the book open with my hands and I flip the pages by using all different kinds of uh, clamps and basically stuff that I can grab around the house. I'm shooting these books in my apartment most of the time. And that's how I kind of shoot it. But now that it's getting nicer here in New York City, I'm going to go back to the parks and probably leverage that as well. Well, what's neat is as a photographer, you know, photography usually involves either a local based client group or you end up traveling a lot as a photographer going out to different shoots and places, locations. Mm -hmm. But you found an interesting niche that doesn't require you to travel or for your client to travel to you because it sounds like you do the photo shoot uh, on your own without having the client over your shoulder. And so they just have to overnight you a book and you're good to go. Is that right? Yes. Now, I have four general types of sessions that I conduct, and two of them, the virtual photography where I'm photographing experts, facilitating or delivering a keynote on a Zoom call, and I'm shooting that on my laptop, or the book photography. Yeah, they don't need to, obviously, in in both those cases, they're not present with me, but I do travel for the live event photography that I shoot or workshops or three-day events, those kinds of things, as well as certain clients want to be photographed where they live for their branded lifestyle portraits. So it's, it's a mixed bag and it's all awesome. Well, and it's also good because then you're never too much of the one thing. You're never too much of a recluse who never leaves your small geographic circle, like of where you live and, you know, kind of your daily mouse trail, because that can probably feel stifling if you're not getting out there. So you also get to travel, but you're also not on the road 50 weeks a year, the way some, some people are who have the kind of job that requires travel. No, absolutely. And actually that point ties directly into one of the main reasons why I had the itch to get out of what I was doing. Once upon a time, I was a television producer for a talk show in New York and Connecticut. And while the work was challenging and and there was a lot of interesting components to it, it felt like it was a factory line after nine years of doing it. And there was a level of, um, I wouldn't say resentment, but definitely a certain level of just getting burned out from doing the same thing day after day. And there was this back of my mind wish that, man, I wish I could figure out a way to make money where I do different kinds of things within one main thing. And at the time I had no idea what that was because at no point before I quit my job that I think I was going to be a business owner ever because I never wanted to take the risk of doing all of that. And ironically enough, here we are now, (laughs) almost eight years later. Yes. Life is full of irony. I think think we all figure that one out and it's true. Sometimes uh, we end up somewhere we didn't envision and then we're there and it turns out to have been the best path possible. For you, 
What do you see in your future? Do you have any ideas and goals? Uh, do you want to be doing exactly what you're doing today a few years from now? Or do you have any changes in mind that you're working towards? It's funny you mentioned that. I'm in the process of figuring out exactly what that next, next step is. And I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I'm not 100% sure if it's all going to just be around photography. Uh, maybe it might involve some work with storytelling with the words, not just with the visuals. Maybe I will incorporate video production back into my work. Not necessarily as a videographer, editor, but more as an executive producer and creative director. I don't know. But the cool thing about it is I'm not in a place where I feel desperate and I have to run to find any kind of work that will keep the lights on. It is because of the fact that I'm at a certain place now with my business that I can take the foot off the gas, slow down and speed up in the process to be able to really think about what the next steps are. Because at a certain point, I'm 43 years old and I've been rolling around on the floor with different types of cameras in my hands for 22 years. And my body is telling me that at a certain point, that's going to have to stop. So realistically, I'd love to be shooting something for the rest of my life because ultimately that's my heart and soul, but I don't know how that will look as we go further, but we're thinking about it. So that's the first step. Photography is sort of wearing on the body. It's a physical job. And I think some folks don't maybe realize that being a photographer or videographer is a very physical job. One of my favorite photographers I once watched him climb this tall ladder, you know, to get the shot he needed. And he's mm -hmm. like teetering up there. And, and part of me wants to run over and kind of like uh, lean against the bottom of the leg that I, as I would have to reach up way up, but just kind of secure him. Cause I was worried for him. I'm like, you're risking your life for this shot. But, um, you know, he got the shot and it's very dedicated photographer. And it sounds like you are the same way. You're like, if I have to get down on my back and in a very uncomfortable position on a very uncomfortable surface to get the shot, I will. And, but it does, yep. it does work on you after a while. Yeah. But that's also what makes it cool because you got to work for this thing. And there's a certain level of satisfaction that I receive every time that I know that I had to contort my body in some weird way, or I'm hanging out a window or I'm over a ledge doing something nuts. And, and I'm afraid of heights too, by the way, but despite all that, I do these things and there, there's, there's just this, I don't know, there's just an appreciation for the physical component combined with, by the way, actually what's more taxing is the mental. The mental decisions that have to be made, especially during candid moments when you have no control over the subject and you're forcing yourself to laser focus on what's going on and you have to have the level of patience to be able to wait for that right moment to start snapping away despite the fact that you feel like your body's going to snap in half, it's pretty interesting and it's pretty cool. And, and I love it. I'm going to do it until I can't. I'm a big fan of activities, any kind of activity where you are forced to focus 100% on what you are doing and you can't, um, your mind really can't wander. You're, you're unable to be bored. You know, it's like impossible to be bored doing that thing. And it sounds like, you know, photography would really rank up there for, for that oh, kind of activity. State of flow. It's funny, that whole idea of a flow state and being 100% locked in on, on what you're trying to photograph. I have been told that 
when people look at me, like, let's say, for example, I'm at an event that I'm photographing for a speaker and I'm shooting like a reception or something. And there's a lot of people around. I've been told that I look insane because the way that I'm scanning the room to find the shots, it looks like I'm some kind of a stalker or something. <laughs> but fortunately, I have the camera in my hand, so I have an excuse. But it's you lose track of time. You can't really focus on what people are saying to you. It's a special time because you're trying to birth something that really encapsulates the moment in that room during that time to be able to share with the people that were in there. And it's a pretty special thing to be able to do that, to be able to see these, these moments that happen amongst a large crowd of like 100 people, 200 people, whatever. And yet you can zero in on two, three people talking together. It's really, it's a, you know, a lot of fun. And oh, it's no. also a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it for sure. I wonder if there's some part of like the primal brain, you know, the subconscious where you're really tapping into that sort of both hunter and gatherer instinct because you're hunting for these like exact moments, but you're also sort of gathering and collecting and the gatherers would have to discriminate between like the good fruit and the bad fruit. <laughs> you know, you're out there like, no, no, not this, but yes, this, I got it. Mm -hmm. And then you go after it. I love it. I think um, I would, I hope someone, you know, another photographer doing the same event has at some point captured you in like mid hunt with the crazy look. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Truth be told, I don't know if I want to look at that face. I look crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. Like, I didn't know I had that in me. Um, yeah, so this one's definitely not going on the dating profile, no. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Not the one where I look like I'm, you know, a serial killer. Not that one. Right. But so this this podcast really, we talk a lot about sort of maintaining some level of peace and white space in our calendar and not allowing work to become this all-consuming thing that takes over all aspects of life, which it's very easy for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs in particular, to fall into that sort of workaholic tendency and um, to allow, you know, themselves to be consumed by work. I know for you, there's a lot of demands on your time. I'm sure a lot of even conflicting uh, requests, like come to our event. No, no, no. Come to ours. Same dates. And how do you maintain your sanity so that you don't overwork, you don't underwork less than you want to, and uh, you still have time for all the things you enjoy in life? The truth of the matter is there seems to be a shift every couple of years on how I approach that early on due to the intense desperation of trying to figure out what I was doing. There was definitely an overload. There's no doubt about it. And progressively, as the years have gone on, I've noticed that I've been able to slow things down a lot more and to be able to give myself the grace to have time during certain times of day, during certain weeks. It's look at my calendar. Where are the things where I'm traveling? Where are the things I'm shooting locally? What are the things that I'm shooting in the house? Fill in the time with the work. And then the times that I'm not working, I know the certain responsibilities I have, but I'm very protective of the fact that I allow myself the ability to space out every now and then. And it could be, and it could be on a day where I have things going on, but I have an hour slot. So I'm just going to go and kind of watch something on Netflix or whatever, or just look out a window or talk to a friend or something that allows me to shut it down. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm always thinking about this stuff, even though if I'm not on the clock. And it's not necessarily a bad thing when taking into account 
the fact that I do afford time to be able to just like do nothing and that's okay. Do you have any favorite either methods or could be maybe software or an app that you think are especially helpful to you in how you manage your time and your life? Manage my time and my life. Well, I don't actually have any apps for that. They're all business apps. Now that I think about it, I don't have anything in particular tracking my time or tracking productivity or, or actually I do have mindfulness apps, but I have fallen out of the practice to be fair. That was something that I definitely appreciated, but no, I don't really have anything like that. And do you think mindfulness apps, I myself do use one in particular. I use one called Calm. There's quite a few out on the market now. Um, even my watch will beep at me once a day and say, do you want to take a mindfulness minute? <laughs> I never do it because my watch never interrupts me at quite the right time for it. I, and finding time for either meditation, you know, mindfulness, even just sitting still doing nothing is hard, I think, for people, especially if you have a busy lifestyle or, you know, something like kids or, you you know, work and all, all those demands. Do you think that it's a practice you want to get back to or did you fall out of it because it wasn't doing much for you? Uh, I really wasn't doing that much for me. What I've discovered about myself is even if I just breathe, do the long breath in, hold it, breathe out, that immediately, if I'm getting anxious or if I'm feeling overwhelmed or if I'm tired and I need to amp it up a little bit to, to work through something or I'm going somewhere that may or may not be for work, I do that. Sometimes if I feel a little bit overwhelmed, I'll free write. That I found to be more cathartic because I can just jumble out stuff that I'll never have to read again. But yet the act of releasing it from my mind and putting it in front of me kind of helps that process. I kind of like that more, at least for now. There's always an opportunity that a mindfulness app might actually be in my future. I don't know, but um, it's just not on the priority list at this time. I think the free writing and the breathing are are pretty good for me right now. And what have you learned from your clients? Because your clients are a very interesting group of people, right? They are themselves putting their work out there into the world. If they need publicity photos and, you know, photos of their book, obviously these are people with a message. Um, mm -hmm. They're out there promoting their methodologies or their way of thinking. They're creatives and you get to mingle and work with and be in that environment as a creative yourself. What have you really learned from your time with this unique niche group of people? It's almost like as if I chose them by design. <laughs> I make a joke of that because that actually is why I'm working with these people. It's because they're experts in all shapes, sizes, forms, and flavors, and they all have dedicated their businesses to serve other people and help solve their problems. So I glean a lot off of the people that I serve and not necessarily their expertise alone, but their business sense and the way that they're living their lives. And the people that I work with, many of them I consider friends because of the rapport that we have. And, and for some of my retainer clients, we, are, we have a long term relationship. And just simply having a drink at the bar after the event and having a conversation about life and business and where I am and where they are. I mean, the amount of value from listening to very successful people share 
what motivates them and what's next and where they are. It's just been absolutely um, magical. And it's not bad either, right? To have these great, amazing books arrive at your doorstep. Because I'm assuming that after the book has had its close-up and photo shoot, you get to read it if it's interesting to you. So that's fantastic too. Yeah, I have. I definitely have. I've, I've read the books. Yeah, I've read people's manuals, their online courses. I get access to a lot of cool stuff. So how do people connect with you and follow you and learn more about you? Because I'm sure there's people listening that want to see some of this amazing art. I know they're going to hunt around trying to find somewhere on the interwebs, a picture of you looking a little manic at a, (laughs) you're hunting for that perfect shot. That's the photo I want to see. I mean, I'm kind of picturing like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know, like running around the house. (laughs) But I'm sure it's not quite that manic, but um, I love that image you put in my head. Yeah, yeah. Just get rid of the uh, blade in his hand and replace it with a camera and then we're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to die. That's the most important thing. The place to find me, the easiest place would be my website, johndamato.com. I have all of the links to my social channels down there, as well as my blog. I write quite extensively about visual storytelling for experts, and that's the best place to go to get the goods. So connect with John at johndemato.com. That's J-O-H-N-D-E-M-A-T-O.com. And uh, I'm sure that we will meet again, John. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You've been amazing to speak to. Thanks again for having me. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.